Hi, this is Shannon from SIS, the number four, teachers.org. Thanks so much for joining us this week for our recap on our Math Might Show 315 and 316. We are just plugging along with these Math Might Shows coming out, two for every grade level each week. So what, eight shows each week. The I can statement for kindergarten for 315 is I can figure out how many objects are in a collection. We start off kindergarten, of course, with the mystery math mistake, and DC is all confused. He created number bonds for 10, 10 frames, but somewhere he found an error. Eric and Maki help DC get straight to help figure out the mystery math mistake. We know that kindergarten students often struggle with one-to-one -one counting if things are not presented in an organized way because they often recount. So we start off the show by talking about how we could count a collection of clear counters. There's different ways to go about counting. We could line up the objects. We could make sure we touch and count each one. We also could use a new tool that you can download called My Counting Mat to help students slow down and really count more carefully. They can put all of the items on one side of the mat and then as they cross the line on the counting mat, they can count so they won't lose track. Our Math Might Friend Value Pack appears in this episode because we want to be able to set our collections up in a way to help us see the values of the tens and ones. We also use a different mat, the double 10 frame mat, which helps students see the value of tens and ones by creating a set of 10 and then some more. So students will count in three different ways and then they can match up to value pack, seeing that the red value pack of 10 and then the white that maybe has the three to show that when you put it together, it's 13. It's really important when we're looking at team numbers like 16 to make sure that students don't say one, six. We want them to know the value of what they're saying. The one in the number 16 is really a 10 and the six is six. You can think of it as the team numbers as 10, six. We then play a game called Race and Trace and that's the extension activity that students are going to be playing in the show 315. As we move on to show 316, we're going to be doing a mystery math mistake very similar to the one in the previous show. But in this time, instead of number bonds, DC is going to make number sentences with his 10 frame, but he's all turned around and confused. The I can statement is I can answer questions about how many are in groups using 20. We open the episode with a pile of Unifix cubes asking what do you notice and what do you wonder? Obviously, we can't really count the pile of cubes, but we can look at them and maybe estimate the amount by looking to see how many we see. We might be able to ask the question as we would like to, which is wondering, are there more red cubes than yellow cubes? I think the opportunity to investigate the inquiry is really important in kindergarten to set them up for what they'll be doing during the lesson. As we did in the previous lesson, we use a double 10 frame mat here to begin to help organize the cubes. And we also use value pack to help us see where the value is of our collection. We then have a collection of cubes and each student is going to say a different amount. One says 15, another says 17, and another student says 16. They can't all be right, so we have to investigate to see who is correct. We bring out the counting mat again to make sure that we're not counting too fast and that we're, we're not really leading to errors in counting. We then look at scatters and different arrangements. They actually all have 12. We want them to find out which arrangement of objects is easier to count. A circle? Probably not, because when you start off counting in a circle, you might forget where you started if you don't make a mark. It might be easier to line them up like a 10 frame, or five in a row, and then five in a row, and then maybe two. 
Maybe we could line up objects and skip count by twos. So we talk about different ways you can arrange objects and then have different objects that can arrange, such as buttons, snowflakes, or even popsicle sticks. For the extension activity, we do a game called Build the Tower. Students are going to roll a connecting cube on a number mat and then use the number zero through nine and add the number in the tower. The first person to get to 20 in the tower is the winner. Now moving on to first grade, we start off with episode 315 with a mystery math mistake, but this time we have a Professor Barbel who is upside down and all confused. We solve the problem that says Rocco has 12 bags of fruit snacks. Jack gave him three more. How many did Rocco have in all? It's an addition problem. We go through the Professor Barbel process, but we might do the wrong operation. Can Nora and Layla help us? Our I can statement for the day is I can measure lengths longer than 100. We're going to be measuring the students' bodies in this episode. If you're in the classroom, you could trace the bodies in a large piece of butcher paper. In this show, Claire uses a piece of string to measure the length of her body, and she discovers that it's 112 cubes long. When we have that many cubes, what's the best ways to count them? We bring it back around to the base 10 understanding with really base 10 blocks. That's a lot of cubes to count individually, but we have 11 groups of 10 and two single cubes, so we know it equals 112. And so we have a variety of students in our pretend classroom that measure their body lengths in cubes, and we talk about how we could count the cubes. For example, one person's 10 groups of 10 and four singles, so we know that that's 104. We then transition into matching up a number over 100 to unifix cubes so students can see the representations together. Then we talk measuring about measuring different animals. We have lengths in cubes on, on each animal on a poster that students have read the number. A red fox is 11 groups of 10 and five singles. How long is how long is it? If the raccoon is 10 groups of 10 or a dog is 11 groups of 10, how long are these animals? We then use value pack to talk about how the kids can say the numbers sometimes incorrectly. When they're counting in the English language, sometimes we say things like 12, teen, 13, 14. Mrs. Markovich happens to have this, has this happen a lot in her first grade classroom. If students are trying to read a number for the dog, let's say that we have for the example, there's 11 groups of 10, they might say that it's 11 D10. This really isn't a number. So we talk about really carefully with the numbers and how to honor the place value when we say the numbers. For the extension activity, we're gonna do a matchup with value pack. We usually see value pack in just red and white, representing just the tens and ones. But we had our artist work on expanding him to the hundreds, which is orange, just like our place value strips. So students will be matching up the numbers to higher than 100 with base 10 blocks. The idea of measurement is wrapping in the idea of numbers higher than 100. In episode 316, our mystery math mistake had Professor Barbel upside down again. He should maybe be showing a subtraction visual model, but he might get confused, so Nora and Layla help to set him straight. The I can statement is we can solve problems, story problems with measurement and compare lengths. This episode is all about bringing length into real life situations and be able to use it to compare. Naturally, Professor Barbel is going to be the star of the show. Some of the problems end up off to the cutting room floor. Check our deleted scenes so you can see them. But we are talking about things which our paper clip, how many paper clips long something is, how many cubes longer is a math book than a reading book.
This kind of problem is known as an additive comparison, which is difficult for first graders. As a result, I think it's really important that we use Professor Barbell's step-by-step process to help students solve these types of problems. And then it's their turn. The student's going to do a comparison problem with Professor Barbell walking through the step-by-step visual model. They're going to be using non-proportional bars and adding some pieces of information from the problem themselves. In second grade, we move on to episode 315, which opens up again with a mystery math mistake featuring T-Pops. He's solving 78 plus 14, but as the kids in the show contribute their thoughts about where the error was, you'll see how you can look at addition problems and actually end up doing the inverse operation. Nora in the show realizes the answer can't be 82 because 82 minus 14 isn't 78. It's important for students to realize how they can look at an error and how they can dive deeper where T-Pops maybe went wrong. The I can statement is I can learn about coins and values. We talk about coins and the value some in first grade, but this show really touches a bit more on the first grade standards for a review. We don't really count combinations anymore in first grade, but this is a nice review to help them remember the attributes of the coin. To begin, we ask our students to brainstorm on a chart about all the things they know about money. In this show, we focus on dimes, pennies, nickels, and their value. We also do coin combinations where they're adding nickels and pennies together, then adding dimes and pennies together, and dimes and nickels. We aren't going to get to the quarter just yet, as I think it's really important for our kids when they study coins to really skip count by tens, then fives, then one. An abacus is a really great tool to help students with counting coins. If you're counting the dimes first and the nickels, then the pennies, you'll want to show it on the abacus to help students slow down and know when to switch their counting. We also talk a lot about how you go from counting money in an array of coins or in a picture. You can't really rearrange them from greatest to least if you have them on a piece of paper, but maybe you want to count and touch the dimes first, then the nickels, then the pennies to make the counting a little bit easier. Our extension activity is going to be doing an activity called Coin Compare Level 1, where students are going to be comparing sets of coins with their partner to see who has the greatest total. As we move into show 316, our mystery math mistake is similar to our previous show. The first show, students can learn how to introduce the idea or the concept. In the second show, we do a similar problem because we want the students to become more independently involved in figuring out where the error is. The I can statement is I can learn about quarters and find the values of different sets of coins. There's a new coin in town, and yep, it's the quarter. We're looking at all the ways you can create a quarter and combinations of values of coins in different ways. We present students with three quarters and ask what's the value in cents, and how can they create the same value with different coins. Could they have two quarters, two dimes, and then a nickel? Would that still equal 75 cents? We'll have different combinations of coins with quarters, dimes, nickels, and pennies that students will study. In second grade, one of the standards asks for them to be able to make an amount of change with the fewest coins possible. If your students want to make 66 cents, they might do six dimes and six pennies. But how can we make that same total using the fewest coins possible? For the extension activities, students play coin compare again, but this time it's level two. We're going to mix the quarters in a little bit and see if it's a little bit more challenging for them to use the coin compare with a partner. For third grade, we're looking at show 315. We do a mystery math mistake with Springling where she is using a strategy of multiplying up. We cover up this strategy, we covered this strategy really extensively in previous shows, but now we want kids to look at it more with a critical eye to see where Miss Askew maybe went wrong. The problem is 48 divided by 4, and so we're asking the students the questions, how many groups of 4 go into 48? We have to find out where the error is and where we're doing it. 
We also introduced the idea of using the inverse operation here so students can say, I know that 14 times 4 equals 56 and we're trying to get to 48. I think it's important for students to know about this concept and for them to do an analysis of where the error is. The I can statement is I can identify, generate, locate equivalent fractions. We're going to spend a lot of time looking at equivalent fractions in different ways, from fraction tiles to fraction strips to our area model papers, as well as shading in different bars to demonstrate how we can tell if the fractions are equivalent. I think it's really important when teaching equivalent fractions not to teach students the butterfly method or a really quick way to see if they're equivalent. We want, do not want to teach them a procedure with a concept they don't understand. So give the example of a person ran three-sixths of a mile and somebody ran a half a mile. Ask who ran further on the track. Well, really looking at these two equivalencies on a number line is really important for them to be able to compare the fractions. The number line work that we do in third grade is an integral piece. Kids really struggle here. So we want to give them a variety of fractions like 1 half, 3 eighths, 6 eighths, 7 eighths, and so forth. And we want them to be able to locate and label them in the number line. Then once we have them plotted, we can look at the number line that are forced and kind of look to see on the longer number line where we might see the ace. Can we find one that's equivalent on the number line because we're looking at it on the same point? In the extension activity, we're going to play an equivalent fraction role where students play different rounds and create fractions, trying to figure out if, the, if their fraction is equivalent to the one that they created. And show 316 in third grade, we do another mystery math mistake. Again, it's really similar to the multiplying up that we did previously. We're going to do 63 divided by 3, and Springling makes an error somewhere in her groupings. Maybe she didn't count all the groups there. Let's see if you can discover where the error is. The I can statement is I can find fractions and whole numbers that are equivalent. We spend a lot of time on the show talking about fractions that are larger than 1. A lot of times we call them improper fractions. But I always say if I wanted to eat three halves of the pizzas because I was super hungry, is that improper? Not necessarily. We have to use the word improper because we do see it on tests. But it's really important to make sure when you say improper that you make sure third graders understand what it means. Ask them. A lot of kids will just say the numerator is larger than the denominator. What we want them to say is an improper fraction is larger than 1. This makes sure that we're always going back to the number sense with fractions. We open our show with four sets of fractions and see if the students can discover which set of fractions doesn't belong. This is an activity that we do in our shows often, and our goal is to really get kids to think critically about what they're seeing and realize that for one reason or another, any set of them might not belong. In this show, we're going to have fractions that are larger than 1. Most of the kids know that if we label one fraction on a number line, we might know it as three, number one on a fraction line, we would know it as three-thirds. We would know that it's equal to just one. But what happens if the fraction number line doesn't have any fractional parts? How else can we label one? Well, it could be one over one. If a fraction goes to two, then it would be two over one. So we talk about the idea of what a fraction might look like equivalent to a whole. If we have three over one and four over one, those are equivalent to a whole number. But so is three over three. But as we look at that, we go more in depth understanding that that is one. Then we look at a lot of different number lines and decide what fractions are equivalent to whole numbers. We use a variety of fraction number lines with halves, fours, and thirds so that kids can see what they look like. I know that half is not equal to a whole, but two halves is equal to a whole. Three halves is not, but four halves is equal to the whole number. It's two. We want kids to look beyond just what the whole number is. 
Then we are going to bring in DC. I love using DC strategy to show fractions with, large, with fractions that are larger than one. He smashes his hammer to decompose and pull out the numbers, the whole numbers. When you and I were younger, we had 12, six. We used to always figure out how many groups of six are there in 12. But a lot of times that's difficult for kids. So instead we can take the fraction and decompose it by pulling out the whole. If we have 12, six, six, I can pull out six, six and six, six. And almost make the, and then almost make a number bond. I know that six six and six six would give us the whole number two. We do this with several several examples, especially when it isn't so nice when we we do the decomposition like twelve eighths. If this in this example, DC is going to smash it and pull out eight eighths, and then four eighths. Eight eighths and four eighths is equal to twelve eighths. We know if we put that together, it's one and four eighths. If DC decided to do 10 thirds, he's going to pull out 3 thirds, 3 thirds, and 3 thirds, which is going to be 9 thirds, then he's going to have an additional third. That makes it easy for kids to look at the whole numbers and to say that it's 3 and 1 third. It's really awesome. I think DC's strategy here is one that you'll really love the idea that we see in the show. In the extension activity, they're going to play a game that's called Same but Different. In this game, students are going to choose a denominator in the third grade. We want to use halves, thirds, fourths, sixths, and eighths. Then they're going to spin the spinner and find the numerator to see what it will be. Then the students will work on finding equivalent fractions, just like we did in the show. Thanks so much for joining us for our blog this week for the Math Mites Recap. We have some more fun to share next week, so I hope you join us for episode 317 and 318.